Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Sometimes older couples who've been married for a long time will joke around. I'll say, how long have you been married? And they'll say, uh, or I'll say, how long have you been happily married? And they'll say, well, uh, married, you know, 20 years, happily 15. (laughs) And they'll joke around, you know, laugh about it. But... I'll say, no, seriously, how do you stay happily married for so long? And usually it's something like this. They'll say, well, we started out as friends and we just kept our friendship and we made sure that friendship was the key to our marriage. You know, some of you who've been married for a long time, you know that, right? Or sometimes they'll say, well, we fell in love when we first got married and we just kept nurturing that. We still have dates. We kept nurturing our love and we just keep falling in love. It sounds like sick, right? Like, come on, right? Falling in love. But, but it's true. They become in love. But, you know, I like to ask old Christians too, how do you keep your passion for Jesus? You know, I'm an old worship leader. I've led worship, you know, for 25, 30 years. And when you lead worship like hundreds of times and thousands of times, and yet my, my time of worship still when I sit down at the piano or when I just worship on a daily basis with the Lord, it's still so tender. It's still so meaningful. And I'm not faking it. In fact, it's hard to fake. It's, it's, like, it's like I think about the Lord and it just touches. In fact, I have to stop thinking about him sometimes and thinking about how I feel about the Lord or think about the Lord because I'll start getting choked up. Well, why is that? Is it because I'm just such a horrible sinner? (laughs) And and, and it's like, well, what is it? Well, I think it's because I remember in my life not knowing if there was a God and being so void, but there there was something in my heart that wanted God so bad and I didn't, I knew I didn't deserve him if there was one. I didn't know if he'd accept me if there was one, but not only did the Lord meet me, but he took me in and he loved me. And I think it was just that love of like, he knew me, he loved me, he pulled me in, he called me his own and that's how he treats me. And it's just that love, falling in love with Jesus, staying in love with Jesus, I think is one of the most important things in our lives. It's the opposite of religion. It's the opposite of of, uh, letting God be in your relationship with God being all about rules and something about what faith are you? Well, my faith is this and this and that. And you've even heard people say, I don't have a religion. I have a relationship. I have a relationship. I have a relationship with Jesus. You know, we do have a faith. Of course, you know, just like we have a marriage. I, I, I don't have a marriage. I have a love affair. Well, yeah, but you better have a covenant too, right? <laughs> you have a love affair with a lot of people, right? No, I have a covenant and I have a love affair, right? Both at the same time. Well, I do have a faith. I do have a loyalty. I do have a commitment with the Lord. 
But I have a love with Jesus. And everything that I do comes out of my love with Jesus. That's where it's birthed out of. Can I just tell you today, and that's what I want to actually close this series about Fresh Start today with, is this. Start with worship. Start with worship. We talked about starting with God's word, starting with praying and fasting, starting with your circle, which is relationships, starting with what's been given you, which is, you know, being a steward. But I can tell you, when it comes back down to it, how should you start anything in life? You got to start with you and Jesus. Just to relate, if you stripped everything down, I can tell you, and, I, and I'll, I'll tell this Jesus, I'll tell this to the Lord every once in a while, I just tell the Lord, Lord, I just want to let you know, nobody ever came back to church. If, if, no, if everybody just called me up on Sunday and said, hey, by the way, I quit Memphis Tabernacle, I went somewhere else, I'd just say, well, Lord, <laughs> uh, is Tiffany still coming? <laughs> I'd probably ask him that verse. <laughs> but I'd tell the Lord, Lord, you're not leaving me, right? We're, we're, by the way, it's not me. It's the Lord, right? But I'm just saying, uh, I, I just say, Lord, I just want you to know my relationship with you is what matters. My ch- my ch- this church is not my identity. My identity is found with Jesus. Your job is not your identity. Your career is not your identity. Your... your uh, uh, you know, your, your life retirement is not your identity. Your, what people look, your value, your worth, what, you're, what you've made out of your life, your heritage, your family, the things that you are, your education, that's not your identity. Your color, your race, your, your, your background, it's, your heritage, it's not your identity. Your identity is in the, your sexuality. You know, nowadays, even with, even with sexuality, notice that it's I identify as. I identify as. People will say, what do you identify as? I identify with Jesus. Because that's the reality. In fact, it says in the book of Colossians, it says, now that you're in Christ, he says, Look at those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. Let your eyes look on things above where Christ is. He says, in Christ, who is our life, when he appears, that's where you find your life. Then you'll appear with him in glory. If we're having a hard time finding our life, it's because we're looking on earth. The place to find our life is in Christ, in Christ. Christ isn't walking around here trying to find a career. So what do we do? We have to find our identity in Christ. We have to fall in love yes. with Jesus. I, there's, a, there's a story in John chapter 4. It's about this woman. We know her. It's funny. She doesn't even have a name. You know, sometimes these people in, in, the, in the Bible, like the blind guy. How would you like to be? Yeah, I'm the blind guy in the Bible. <laughs> you get to heaven, you go, hey, what, what was your name in the Bible? I'm the lame guy. I'm the blind, I'm the cripple. <laughs> I'm the blind guy. Well, this was the woman at the well. That was her name. Okay. The woman at the well. And I just want to read this. It's a, it's a few verses. I'm going to read it, and then I'm just going to point out a few things about it, and then we're going to sing another song, and then we'll be done today. Okay. But I want you to look at this here. 
It says here in John chapter 1, but would you pay attention with me about this woman, and she was from Samaria, okay? It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, um, though Jesus himself didn't baptize, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. Somebody say, through Samaria. So Jesus wasn't even going to Samaria. He was just kind of like passing through. It was kind of like he was driving through, okay? So he was passing through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. It says Jacob's well was there and Jesus was tired. Somebody say Jesus was tired. By the way, he really was tired. Jesus did get really tired, okay? So from the long walk, he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink of water. By the way, you might say, why did Jesus ask her for a drink? Because Jesus didn't have a bucket, okay? She had a bucket, he didn't have a bucket. So he, he was sitting there, he was tired. He's like, hey, uh, you have the bucket. Can you give me some water, please? So. Could you give me some water, right? And, uh, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She was wondering, like, why are you even here? Well, I'm here because I'm passing through. By the way, you ever been on a road trip and you pass through that town and, like, you got to say, I got to do a bathroom stop. I got to get something really quick, but I'm in and out. Like, this is not where I'm going to stay. It's just, that was where Samaria, Samaria was, right? Okay. Um, she was surprised, uh, and she said, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you knew the gift, notice this, God has for you. Not only was he even supposed to be talking to her, but he says, God has for you. He says, and who you're speaking to. You would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestors Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than his sons and his animals enjoy? She's talking about physical water. He's talking about spiritual water, right? And Jesus replied, anyone, read it with me, anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again, talking about physical water. But those who drink, read it with me, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. By the way, just a quick insert, if you ever get thirsty again in your soul, it's because we're trying to meet things in our soul without drinking from Jesus. We're drinking things, trying to fill up our soul with things that aren't Jesus, right? He says, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them. Notice where it is. Within them, giving them eternal life. That's within the spirit, right? Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never thirst again and I won't have to come here to get water again. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. Or you've had five husbands. You aren't even married to the man you're with living now. Uh, you certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. 
So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist, now the woman's saying, you must be a prophet. So since you know a few things, answer this question. You Jews insist that Jerusalem's the only place where we worship. We're talking about worship for a moment. While we Samaritans claim that it's here on the mountain. So she's saying, do we worship in Jerusalem or on the mountain? Since you know all these things, tell us, answer this. Where our ancestors uh, worship. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming. See, by the way, this would have been a good time for Jesus to insert. You guys aren't the real worshipers. The Jews are really the ones with the promise. So just back off. Don't ask me about that. But notice what he said. He said, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He basically said the Jews didn't, don't necessarily have it right. Samaritans don't necessarily have it right. He said, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, and we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. He said, but the time is coming. Somebody say, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. Somebody say, it's here now. He said, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, somebody say, in spirit. By the way, that's the location of worship. It's not the mountain. It's not Jerusalem. It's the spirit. The Spirit is a location. The Spirit is a location. It's not the mountain. It's not Jerusalem. It's the Spirit. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It means you're not hiding. It's not cover up. It's in spirit. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming and the one, who's called, the one who's called the Christ, which we've talked about back in December, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked that he's talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? And the woman left her water jar. Notice the water was the reason she even came. The woman left her water jar beside the well, and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. By the way, did Jesus tell her everything she ever did? No, Jesus just said, you had a lot of guys, and you have a different one right now. She's like, whoa. Look at He told me everything I ever did, could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. The people came streaming. And it says, and many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. Wait, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was just like at a pit stop. And now Jesus is here. Now the woman goes, brings all these people back. And now the people in Samaria, where he's not even supposed to be there, says, could you please stay for two more days? And Jesus is like, all right. And the, the disciples, they didn't even want to talk to people. They actually left Jesus there to go get lunch. And they came back and said, are you hungry? And he's like, my food's to do the will of my father. What was he saying? My food is the people. I'm talking to people. I'm in relationship with people, and you're overlooking people to go get lunch. This is my lunch. 
This is what satisfies me. So what happened? So Jesus stayed two more days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Many more to hear the message and believe. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to convey these things. I want to say a few things to you that I just, just a few points that I wrote down about this. Samaria, there's a few things that are odd about this story. Samaria was an area that was shunned by the Jews, as, I, as I've already stated. Few Jewish rabbis would, uh, would initiate a conversation with a woman, would ever walk up to a, a woman, much less a, a Samaritan woman, and have just initiate a conversation with with them. They just wouldn't do it. Uh, not, not only a Jewish woman, but a woman from a different race. She wasn't a Jew. And now you're talking to someone all alone out here. You know, Jesus will overstep, will step over boundaries. I'm not talking, uh, you know, moral boundaries or things, but he would step over lines that people would think you're not supposed to do that to reach people. Jesus was a, a, a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Jesus would walk into places that people would say, you're not supposed to walk into places. Why? To reach people. Why? Because he saw hurting. He saw lost people. His heart was for lost people. His heart wasn't about the rules. His mind wasn't on the rules. His, his mind was that there's lost people. They need help. They need hope. And so what did he do? He'd step into those situations. Besides talking that this woman was, wasn't Jewish and she was a Samaritan, she was looked down upon, the woman's morals weren't right there. She, she was like the woman you wouldn't talk to. And yet here Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. Jesus cared about relationships, about people. He crossed cultural, ethnic, denominational lines. Also what's interesting is this about Jesus. There was something about Jesus and water here. I want you to notice this. Um, at the, the very first verse, it says that Jesus, uh, it says that Jesus, that John the Baptist baptized with water, but Jesus baptized with the Spirit. Notice John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Jesus was a baptism uh, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Jesus, there was actually a different kind of baptism with water. Remember in John chapter 2, Jesus changed the water into, into wine, right? There was something about regular water into you know, something, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Well, it's interesting here also that they're talking about well water and natural water, and he's talking about spiritual water. There's something that Jesus is using, even the analogy of water, physical things into spiritual things, physical drink, physical satisfaction, physical quenching into spiritual satisfaction and things that he's saying. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan and he has this, uh, this conversation with her. He understands her. He says, you have five husbands. He knows her. He seems to, to, to actually have a conversation with her but knows her. She's sitting here and she's going, how do you know me? Have you ever talked to someone like that and they're going, how do you know me? How do you know me? Like you seem to know things about me. You know me. And then he offers her living water. Not only does he know her, but he offers her living water. He, he, she knows he's a Jew and he's offering her living water. And then he shows her the path to the father. He reveals that he's the Messiah. 
She drops her pot and she tells everyone she knows. She goes back to her town and she's like, forget what I'm doing here. I need to go let everyone know. Here's my big question in this story. I was sitting there and I'm thinking about this. Why was she so blown away by Jesus knowing about her life? I mean, you, you see these kinds of things. You see today fortune tellers and you see people and they're, they'll say things and they'll tell something about your life and you're like, oh, or prophetic and you say, oh, that's, that's cool. Not enough to drop everything I'm doing and go tell the world about it. I mean, I think that was really cool. Like I'll post, post something. I'm not gonna drop my life and go tell everybody about it. Here's what I think the reason why that it, it blew her away. It blew her away that Jesus understood her, knew where she was morally, knew where she was, that she wasn't the person he was supposed to even be talking to. She knew the dirty, nasty, wrong choices she made, things about her life, and yet he still accepted her. And she didn't get that. It wasn't the fact that she read her mail or he read her mail. It wasn't the fact that he understood her. It was the fact that when he did understand her, he didn't push her away. It wasn't the fact that he could prophesy. It wasn't the fact that he could do signs and wonders. It was the fact that even when he knew the depths of her depravity and her sin that he still offered her living water. That he still said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water and you'd never thirst again. I'm talking about worship because that's what unlocked me. It wasn't the fact that Jesus knew me even when I did realize there was a God. My big question wasn't that. It was, would he accept me? It was, would he take me on in the midst of all my junk? Would he love me in the midst of not only my imperfections, not the things I did wrong, but the things I couldn't even get over today, the struggles that I dealt with on a daily, the lust that I dealt with on a daily basis as a young man, I didn't know how to get over it. I struggled with it. And I didn't know how God's love would pour over me and accept me and would treat me as if I had done things right and loved me and poured over his love. And what would it do? It would cause that, that longing in my heart for God. I could understand this woman that she's like, it's not just that she went and shared with her village everything that he had ever done. It said, here's this woman or here's this guy who's told me everything I've ever done and he still took me in and offered me living water and he's a Jew and we're Samaritans. Samaritan village 
this Jew, the Messiah, he could be the Christ, and he's going to accept us. And they, they came, what they did, they came and ran to him and said, would you stay with us two days? And he's like, sure. And what happened? He took their whole village in. They're not even supposed to do that. Can I tell you, that's just the heart of Jesus. He'll never, he won't turn anyone away. And I know that sometimes we in religious, when I say we, I just, I don't want to even pull myself away from it. We say, what about the homosexual? What about the immoral? What about the deceitful person? What about the murderer? Thinking of the worst sins you could ever think of. What will Jesus do? Well, they're all in the Bible. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Yeah, what did he do? Did, did you see Jesus, anyone, just walk away and just say, you did that? <laughs> Here's this woman. By, by the way, he said, I love that the story says, you had five <laughs> and you're with another right now. <laughs> she was in the midst of a relationship that probably wasn't even godly and right and she was a great evangelist for her city. Can God use you? Yeah. I'm not suggesting that be the way, nor do I think God is. But what I'm saying is sometimes I think we draw so many religious lines. And here the heart of God is, is to say, look, would you stop pushing people away? Would you stop, would you stop taking a lunch break so that you can eventually get to your ministry? like these disciples, and Jesus is like, hey, I know you're taking a lunch break, but I know this is a pit stop, but Samaria is my ministry right now. I just stop and minister to this whole village right here while, while we're here at lunch. It's the heart of the Lord. It's the heart of the Lord. I want you to see this scripture in Psalm 42, 7. It says this, deep calls unto deep. Deep calls unto deep. See, there's something in our souls. There's something in the depths of our souls. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All of your waves and billows have gone over me. In the Passion Translation, it says, my deep need calls out to the deep kindness of your love. I don't know about you, but that's what got me it wasn't God's hammer that pulled me in because I tried to run from God. I tried many times to walk away from the Lord and I couldn't. I couldn't walk. I can't walk away from the Lord. I try to and what happens is goodness runs after me. His goodness, maybe it's my mom's and dad's prayers, but his goodness keeps chasing me. And right when I try to get away like I'm on the edge, I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night in a situation and I'd sense the love and the compassion, not the judgment, the love of God just saying, I love you, son. And what would it do? It'd make me say, oh God, I love you too. I'm so sorry. 
Listen, it's God's, it's my deep need that calls out to the deep kindness of your love. Your waterfall of weeping sent waves of sorrow over my soul, carrying me away, cascading over me like a thundering cataract. Look at this in Romans 2, 4. It says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? By the way, I'm not condoning sin. Because I know what Jesus said to the woman that was caught in adultery. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He called it sin. He called her out of it. But he loved her first. I think sometimes we want to do the opposite. We want to say, I'll love you if you'll walk out of sin. I'll love you if you'll leave the sin. What did Jesus say? He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Look at, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Look at this last one. It says, do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted? And despise him. Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he's been to you? Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance? What is repentance? It's just a turning. It's just a turning. It's just a turning. Lord, I want you to, for a moment, would you, just where you are, would you open your Arts, in fact, I know we did it earlier, but would you open your hands like this? And should invite the love of the Lord. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.